Hello, welcome to another episode of Pre-Health Particulars. I'm Coco DeMauro, Pre-Health Academic Advisor in the Honors Program. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Dr. Jason Witt, to explore the importance of considering faith, ethics, and morality in the healthcare professions. Please note that thoughts and opinions shared in this episode do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Baylor University. Let's dive in. I'm excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Jason Witt, for today's special episode. Dr. Witt is Senior Lecturer of Medical Humanities in the Honors Program, as well as Faculty Steward of the Honors Residential College. Dr. Witt received his BA in Religion at Baylor, Master of Divinity at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and PhD in Theology at Baylor. Among his roles include teaching courses in medical humanities and coordinating the annual Baylor Medical Ethics Seminar for physicians, administrators, and other healthcare professionals, as well as coordinating the Faith and Healing Professions Chapel Sections. Welcome, Dr. Witt, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Coco. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. There is a lot we can unpack with this subject, but let's start more broadly. For those who may be new to this topic, what does it mean to consider faith alongside healthcare professions? Are we specifically talking about the Christian faith or all faiths? Well, in Baylor's context, we're certainly talking about the Christian faith, and that's important. But in many ways, as we think about the question of spirituality and healthcare, we are talking about all faiths because people of faith become sort of allies as we engage the healthcare profession, what we think medicine is, what it's for, and certainly the ways we encounter patients of various faiths. And so certainly, this is a Christian question, but it's a question, I think, of all faiths. As we think about the ways in which we think about Christian spirituality and healthcare, even as Christians in healthcare, one of those things we want to think about is that, that what we're not necessarily talking about is something like praying with patients, though that's certainly something many physicians will do and that's important to it. That's not really what I'm thinking of when we think about spirituality or even the way faith connects with healthcare. And nor do we want to think about the fact that faith connects to healthcare in the ways that medicine might become a vehicle for evangelism. While certainly there are ways that that can happen, what do we want to think about more importantly is that medicine itself is its own kind of good. The healing of the body, of helping people find a kind of new normal, of finding connections that are broken in illness and returning to a sense of who they are and finding a sense of themselves, this is really the goods of medicine. And while evangelism can be a part of that, really we want to make sure and recognize that medicine itself is a kind of good in which Christians participate as a kind of gift from God to serve others and think about the ways that their work as healers is modeling and taking up the work of God, who in Jesus was a healer as well. And so as we're thinking about faith in medicine, we're thinking about the ways in which our faith traditions help us think about the key questions of medicine, about the commitments it has, and the ways in which faith helps us push back against perhaps views of medicine that might be coming from a culture that sees it very differently, whether that's pushing back against consumerist views of medicine or about medicine itself becoming its own kind of religion and kind of seeking its own sort of goods that might be contrary to what we recognize as the good of a well-lived human life and where our faith traditions can push back against the ways in which perhaps medicine has reached beyond what it can do or claims more than it should. And faith is a helpful way to sort of frame and think about medicine well. And that's both Christian and other faith traditions help us do that. 
Why is it important to explore one's morality, ethics, or faith as they pursue a career in healthcare? Won't these topics be covered in medical school or other professional school? They will be covered minimally. In medical school, there will probably be about one course on ethics, and it'll be a kind of principalism where one looks at beneficence, non-maleficence, justice, and autonomy. And those are helpful principles. They're particularly helpful principles in pluralistic culture, which doesn't share one set morality or even one set faith tradition, obviously. But those are also really thin concepts. And ultimately, when we begin to think about the kind of ways we're practicing, we do want to think about beneficence, non-maleficence, justice, autonomy. But how are those informed by things like Christian love, by faith, by hope, by other virtues that help us practice well? In many ways, the formation in medical school is happening sort of under the surface. It's less in the classroom of let's think about moral quandaries. And there's more happening that's shaping how the physician sees patients, sees the practice that's coming sort of in the undertow, in the in the background without ever being explicitly said. And so I think exploring and thinking about what do I think about the nature of human being, what it is to live well, to die well, what health is, these things have to be sort of consciously engaged because they're not necessarily going to be consciously encountered or deliberately brought forward in medicine. Much of that is assumed, and much of the assumption comes from cultural views or things we've seen in movies and film and advertising. And so the ways in which physicians and physicians in training are shaping themselves, thinking about the kind of virtues they're cultivating in the practice of medicine, that's not going to be a part of medical practice. It, it happens, but it also happens in ways that we might not appreciate. Perhaps it becomes seeing patients as merely parts and money, as one writer has put it. So faith helps us push back on some of the ways we're being formed to view people as objects, to see disease simply as a problem to be solved without thinking what healing actually looks like in the role of the physician in healing, in caring, and thinking about beginning of life, end of life. And these are questions that will simply be assumed without a careful deliberation on the part of the student, the practitioner, in ways in which they're being formed deeply in the kind of virtues to how to practice well, to have the moral courage fostered in myself to actually pursue not just policy, but what's right for the patient. Those become the things that has to happen outside of initially classroom learning. And then ultimately, I would say, I think the fostering of our kind of moral virtue, things like perseverance, humility, trust, hope, faith, these are things that ultimately prevent burnout in physicians. In an age which we're seeing incredible amounts of burnout in healthcare, things like being really skilled or making a lot of money simply aren't sustaining people. Or even more, when patients become merely objects of care or means to a paycheck, or again, as one physician said, parts and money, that doesn't sustain one well in the practice of medicine, but the kind of deeply cultivated virtues, the moral character, that I think is what allows physicians to sustain longer in the practice of medicine. What are some examples of questions students may want to start considering as they develop their own moral formation? I think one of the, the very first questions we ask is, who am I going to be? Uh, not not what job I'm going to do, but who am I going to be? What kind of person am I entering this field? I tell my students often that this is the fundamental question they have to ask. What's the character I'm going to carry into medicine? 
because that's what will sustain them, but it's also what they begin cultivating now. So who am I going to be starts. But then they're going to have to begin asking careful questions about what do I think is a good life? What do I think it is to live well? What do I understand it to be a kind of good human life? The way we answer that question of what is it to be a person, to be a full person, affects significantly what we treat, what we care for, how we see people with disabilities, with dementia, beginning of life questions, end of life questions, and these are rooted deeply in what we think it is to be a human person and to live well. One writer has said it's really interesting that we don't actually ask the question of what is health until well into residency. It's never asked in medical school. It's simply assumed. But this question, what do we think it is to be healthy? What do we think it is to live well, to die well, to live a good human life? All those questions are at the heart of what medicine is, because medicine aims at this good of the human life. But we have to have some account of what that good is till we know what it is to do good for a patient, not to harm a patient. And based upon these assumptions we get, often given to us by culture about what it is to live well, what a good human life is, what a life that's desirable is, we make all sorts of decisions about treatment or we, who we treat, why we treat, what we treat or don't treat. And these affect people's lives significantly. And because so often the physician is the person that a patient is going to hear from first, perhaps after an accident, perhaps after the birth of a child with disability, perhaps when you're beginning to question how we care for our parents at the end of life, their voice has a lot to say. And if we've simply been informed by cultural values or consumerist values or advertising movies or film and haven't given careful thought to this is actually what I think a person is, and the implications of that view, then I'm going to go along treating ways that might not be what I actually would ultimately think is right, but I've never given thought to it and simply taken what's been given to me. And those same things will be assumed in medical school training, residency, and on into care. And so I think the students now need to begin wrestling with medicine is a deeply moral enterprise, and moral enterprises also wrestle with these deep questions of what it is to be human. And so that's where you have to start now before we ever get on to medical school. I know you've talked quite a bit about the goods of medicine, but why is it important to consider one's faith or their moral code in their profession? I mean, shouldn't the two be separate, sort of like the separation of church and state? You know, I think I would say ultimately we can't separate moral codes out from our practice of anything. Now, I would say we don't impose them, at least not entirely, but none of us come to the practice of medicine or any other profession from nowhere. We come deeply rooted in traditions. And in fact, professions like healthcare have their own traditions that assume kind of moral goods. So everyone comes in with moral goods. It's not like anyone comes in free of these things. So I think it's one, it matters in the way we come in with these because we're going to practice out of them. As helpful as policy is, or even the principalism that tends to drive medicine, those are very thin accounts. And ultimately, when we begin wrestling with real-life problems and real people, we're bumping up against deeply moral questions. So we have to come with a kind of moral account that we're firm on. Again, it doesn't always mean we impose, but it means we know limits and boundaries, know what we can do and can't do. Albert Camus, the French atheist writer, noted that one of the important things that needs to happen is that Christians need to come into the public square as Christians. Now, he said we need their voices in the same way we need Muslim voices, Jewish voices, Hindu voices, secular voices. We need to bring our various perspectives into it. We can't leave them behind because then we impoverish the conversation. 
when we're wrestling with deep questions of what we ought to do in this case, what we think about this life or this treatment or how we imagine justice here, we actually need these deep traditions to bring in the perspectives, not that one dominates, certainly, but that we have ways in which each can bring their perspective and hopefully find a richer, deeper conversation and find more significant and helpful answers drawing upon the deep traditions and wisdom of the various faith traditions. And so we don't impose, but certainly they come in with us. And in fact, I think it's actually helpful that they come in with us because what I might see about personhood, someone else might miss, but I also might gain from the perspective of a Muslim physician or a Jewish physician or even a secular atheist physician who sees something about justice or care or treatment or any number of things that are going to enrich the conversation and help us come to what might be a much better answer and how to practice, how to do well because we've brought, not left something out that's deeply important to us. You've touched on this, and I want to go a little bit deeper. How does one's faith or moral code impact their role in their healthcare profession? Does it affect the day-to-day tasks, or is it more of a longer-term effect? I think the answer to your question is yes. It does both. It certainly affects our day-to-day tasks. And it might be as simple as the, the ways in which I have deeply formed myself. And here I use the language of virtue. That I have become a kind of person who is loving, gentle, kind, faithful, humble, hopeful, excellent in care. All those kind of deep character formations, it's going to come out in my daily interaction with patients. It could be as simple as not seeing a patient as parts. I'm not treating the lung in this room. I'm treating Miss Johnson, and Miss Johnson who has a story and things that matter to her, and so I come to her that way. It might mean on the days of caring for my patients that I'm hearing them, that being attentive to what matters to them because they come with their own faith commitments, their own commitments of what matters to them, that I hear those well. That's its own kind of, of virtue is to attend well to someone, hear what matters to them, and respond to that. It might keep me persevering in a difficult case. It might mean that I'm going to be honest about a place I messed up. And that's also going to build trust with my patients. It's also going to keep me from dishonesty and much bigger things. So there are daily ways in which my sort of moral commitments and the ways I've deeply formed myself, and here again I use the language of virtue because these are deeply formed habits of character that come out. And I'm deliberately doing until it becomes a part of me so that I'm going to be truthful when I make a mistake. I'm going to be honest with a patient when I don't know. Or I'm going to sit and take the time to listen and hear concerns. All those things that build trust, which also increase, I mean, the stuff where you increase patient satisfaction, but also I'm going to feel more connected with patients and I'm going to feel a greater sense of satisfaction or even can acknowledge the frustration. So I think that there's ways in which that daily practice happens. But I think also over the long term, it does help us remind why we do what we do. I think it helps us persevere in the longer term of this very long career when many are burning out and becoming frustrated. I think it helps us think about bigger policy questions or bigger practices. It helps us draw lines on what I'm going to do and not do, where I can say this I can go and no more. And that's the ways in which that practice shapes me daily, but in that daily shaping, it's also, I think, sustaining me in the long-term care of patients, perhaps in days when it's really frustrating. I don't want to do this, or patients are driving me crazy, or they're not listening. The sort of deep virtues I formed keep me going back and seeing that person as a person, perhaps in the Christian language, creating the image of God. And thus, I see in this one, not just an image of God, but I see Christ in the one I'm treating, and so I'm responding that way. 
So I think both long and short turn, it, it does both for us. And it certainly keeps us focused on what we're trying to do. How does one continue to develop their moral formation during professional school and in their career? It's a good question. And it's hard. I think particularly in medical school and even on the career, so much of your days, and this is probably true, this is true for any profession, right? So many of the days get caught up in the dailiness. I'm just trying to do things. Probably in medical school, and I'm not a physician, I'm a, I'm a theologian, but similar to grad school, most days you're just trying to make it through and get the things done I need to do. And the amount of information learning can make up my focus get solely to the things I simply have to learn. But I think we continue to keep our moral formation by being attentive to who am I modeling my life after, right? Finding mentors who do things well and doing what they do. Finding that physician says, I want to be like that. When that teacher, that proctor, whoever to say, this is who I want to be like. I'm going to do what this one does. Maybe not everything, but I'm going to find some of the things do it like this. It partly comes by knowing who I am and having already the questions in mind from undergraduate that these things matter, that it matters the kind of character I'm cultivating, and so I'm going to be attentive to it. So finding good mentors, finding a good group of friends who share that and challenge you in it, that you talk about it, that you're aware of it. Daniel Somacy talks about time coming at the end of the day in the silence to reflect back on the day. So that's when we remember the profession of healing, why we're doing. But we have to have those times of silence and reflection to look back and finding those times to be intentional about them. I would say others say we also need a community outside of medicine. Often we can get caught up in our own guild and we just sort of speak together in the silo echo chamber, but having people outside who go, well, wait a second, why would you do that? And in the Christian tradition, I think that's very much a church community. A number of Christian authors in medicine have talked about how do we find ourselves within a community that we don't just worship with and go, but they actually speak back into the ways in which we practice and that we have commitments to them on who we are and how we practice their holiness accountable to that. So I think, again, being mindful of what I'm doing, that it does matter that I'm forming character and paying attention to the ways I don't, finding good mentors, having a community of friends around me who challenge me, and then that larger church community outside of medicine who continues to push back and call for me to be a kind of person. How can one integrate their faith in a secular professional school or healthcare setting, or if their patients don't share the same faith? I think the first way we integrate is simply, again, by this we think of something like the fruit of the Spirit. That I am loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, that I put on that character of Christ. Again, what the ancients called the virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, the Christ-likeness in Scripture, is these habits of character that we become because we're attentive to who God has called us to be, that doesn't confine just to the religious place. It fits in the secular world. We're a kind of people. And so I'm going to have to practice this way. And I'm going to practice this way even if people around me aren't. We want to be careful not to fall to the dangers of what certain writers have called sort of going along to get along, kind of becoming pragmatic about it. Well, this is the way everyone's doing it, and I just got to do the same thing. No, we've got to continue to be mindful that Am I treating people with care? Am I recognize I'm treating human beings, calling them by name, not falling into the habits that everyone is doing, perhaps calling them by their diagnosis, or perhaps falling into the habit of talking about patients, the problematic patients behind their backs, all the things, but saying, I'm not going to participate in that. And that's really hard. If anybody knows who's gone through middle school or elementary school, to not go with what the group's doing is really hard. But I'm going to continue to practice this way. I'm also going to know lines that I can't cross. 
And that requires some hard work. I tell my students, I don't want to hear you say at any point on some deep, profound ethical question, well, I think that, and this is the first thought you've ever had to it. We need to have done the hard work of recognizing what are the implications of my view on this person or of disability or well-being or life or death? What are the implications for care and justice? I need to know those. I've done the hard work. And people say, well, that's asking a lot. It is. But we've been called to a kind of field that demands this. And we can ask no less of ourselves. And so I think it's simply going to be knowing those lines. I can do this or not this. I can be this person. I can't cross this line. Now, certainly it means, though, with patients who don't share my faith, I'm not imposing it. I'm listening. I'm hearing. That's part of being attentive. It's part of showing the kind of Christ-like hospitality we're called to. It's showing the humility that I need to be able to hear this one who might have a very different perspective, and that different perspective might help me a lot. And so I can hear my patient, and I can be respectful and honor the individual dignity of that one, and their dignity as a child of God uh, and a creation of God to treat them this way, to hear them. But it might also mean at some point I have to say, I am so sorry, I can't go here. I can't cross this line, but I'm still going to walk with you through this. It might mean that I'm willing to walk with my patients through suffering in ways that might somewhat go beyond what others would see the calling, that what for others might simply be going above and beyond becomes for me an expectation of my way. I treat and remain with my patients. So I think that's the way we practice our faith. Again, that doesn't mean I necessarily have to pray with patients. My practice of prayer might be as I walk in the room. One of my friends talks about as he foams in and foams out of the room, that comes his ritual of prayer. As he's foaming in, he's praying for the patient. He's praying. That's praying with the patient. The patient doesn't really have to know it. I'm not imposing that. But I am letting my faith be central to how I practice. So I think that's where it comes in. But certainly... There are all kinds of ways that I can honor those even with different faiths. But I'm going to remain consistent in who I am because the one I treat is ultimately always in the image of God. And so I can never not give the very best. Even on days when I'm frustrated or tired, I'm reminded of that. Now, those are our best days. We don't always have our best days. And I know that as a teacher, as a parent. But ideally, I'm trying to be mindful of that and come back to that. So I think that's how faith gets present because it shaped already who I am. It shaped what I'm going to do. It shaped my goals of care. My healing isn't just fixing, but it might be helping one in the ways I am able to return to wholeness or when it's a case perhaps of, of something that's untreatable that I'm not abandoning that patient. And that gets a little harder. And what brothers of profession might not bring any condemnation, say I'm done, I can't do any more. I'm saying I have to stay with this one, even if I can't no longer medically care, my presence is still here with them. What are some ways students can take steps now to develop their moral formation as they prepare for professional school? I think right now they need to recognize they're already in the formation process. All education is formative. And as much as they are doing the sciences that shape them or prepare them for the technical skills of medical school, they're also already becoming a kind of person. Well, it's a person who develops diligence, patience, perseverance, attention. Simone Weil says the right use, of, she has a wonderful essay called The Right Use of School Studies with a View to the Love of God. So the very studying of a math problem, a translation of writing a paper, a hard reading, and chemistry problem, all those are not just information, 
They're ways of forming our character in the virtue of attention. I'm learning to be present and that that our school studies now are shaping our character. That's one way we recognize simply right now I'm becoming a kind of person. If I simply see myself as a scientist only, and a scientist studies an object and takes it apart, then if I simply view myself as a scientist when I go into medicine, I'm treating objects, not patients. So how do I continue to cultivate now the kind of view of people who I am in terms of moral courage in small things, doing the right thing now, being honest with small things now that'll make me honest later in bigger things. So I'm cultivating character already right now. The other thing I think we do is we do take classes. As much as we take science classes, we take other classes that force us to think about the deep questions. We take philosophy classes, literature classes, theology classes, even art and history, because the deep questions confronting medicine ultimately are not found The answers aren't found in test tubes or petri dishes or technology. They're found in the great wisdom traditions of the world. It doesn't mean science and technology don't have input into these. They certainly do. But we also need that wisdom of the world's traditions. And so we become people who practice now wrestling with deep texts, reading on ethics, reading in history and literature, because that's where we see how our world, how the faith traditions have viewed what's a good life, what's a good death, What does it mean to live well? And it's how we push back against some of the ways we're given answers from often a consumeristic culture, but these other answers in the world's traditions and the wisdom, making that, cultivating that habit is going to prepare us for the steps ahead and this longer life in the practice of medicine when we need to keep these things going, continue to read, continue to grow, continue to ask questions, continue to be attentive to our moral formation. That doesn't stop. And so I think seeing now that I'm beginning already the process of becoming who I'm going to be, as I tell my students, who I am is going to sustain me in medicine far more than information I have. Who I'm becoming right now is going to shape me and how I practice in the future. So those are the steps we do now. That's already happening. It's happening from day one at Baylor. Are there any books or podcasts you recommend for students who want to learn more about integrating their faith or moral code with their future practice? Yeah, I'll admit my old age here that I don't have podcasts, um, but I do have some books. So a wonderful book has just come out, and they are not paying me to say this, but I found it a rich and great book. It's called The Way of Medicine. It's by Christopher Tollefson, a Catholic philosopher, and Far Curlin, a physician and co-director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture program at Duke. It's an excellent book on thinking about how to connect the practice of medicine, they're, they're really comparing what they call the way of medicine, the deep traditions of medicine, deeply formed in virtue, thinking about what health is, with what they call now the provider of services model, that I'm just in a consumeristic exchange, and how we view medicine and how the deeply the way of medicine, that deep tradition of it, really helps us practice well. And, the, and then they actually do some practical steps on how those might look on contemporary issues. I think that's an excellent resource. It's a, a fairly new one out in the last couple of years, and I think it's an excellent read. Um, my students always read Abraham Nussbaum's Finest Traditions of My Calling. Each chapter is a vignette on medicine, and he reflects on what he is, what he's doing, how he's been taught to see these metaphors of medicine. An excellent read. Daniel Smacy's Healer's Calling is a really fine book. Joel Schumann and Brian Volk's Reclaiming the Body is a very good one. Older one that I'll see with my students, it's harder to find because it's out of print, but The Christian Virtues in Medicine and then its counterpart, The Virtues in Medicine, are really fine texts. So those are great places to get started, as well as any number of things. Um, 
the spirit catches you and you fall down, beginning to see sort of cultural views of how we approach medicine. Breath becomes air. So a number of texts are out there as, as long as then also just read really good literature. That's the other thing I would say to do. To our listeners, I hope you have found this episode to be helpful no matter where you are on your journey. Please know we are here to help you and that there are so many resources for you on campus in addition to the Free Health Office. Please know you are not alone and stay tuned for more episodes. In the meantime, feel free to go to baylor.edu slash prehealth for more information. Bye.